Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today's episode is all about whether you should start planning a deer hunting trip this year. So I lied last week. We're going to get to all kinds of antler episodes in the future. But I think there's something more important to cover to think about right now, which is traveling for whitetails. Now, you've undoubtedly watched lucky bastards like Mark Kenyon hunt whitetails all over the country while you're stuck at home hunting the same farm you've hunted since you were 12. You might think, man, some guys have all the luck, and that's just not me. But it can be. You could hunt another state, I promise you. And you should because the clock is ticking on over-the-counter tags and non-resident opportunities. And while whitetails will be the last to go on this front, it's almost inevitable at this point. So if you've got the travel itch, scratch it, my friends. This whole episode is dedicated to traveling for whitetails and why you, yes you, should do it. I grew up in a tiny town in southeastern Minnesota, in a tiny house, dreaming tiny dreams. The idea of becoming an outdoor writer was laughable, and the idea of hunting out of state for anything was lofty. That was something rich folks did, and rich we were not. Hell, I remember being super stoked to get to go to Subway once in a while, which isn't exactly the best example of fine dining. But when I was like 14 or 15, some writer for Field & Stream The magazine did a piece on turkey hunting northern Missouri public land. My dad read it, and then he did something I thought he'd never do. He drove down there to hunt. I was both astounded and jealous because I never thought that would happen. And if it did happen, I never thought it would happen without me. But that's exactly what happened. Now, he didn't kill a bird, but he came home with stories of turkeys and coyotes and camping and hunting a foreign land. I wanted nothing more than to experience it. So I saved up some money from odd jobs I worked on local farms and the dishwasher gig I had at one of the cafes in town. And that following spring, a good buddy and I drove down there with my dad to hunt turkeys. It was a six-hour drive, a cheap tag, and an absolute blast. We used paper maps to find spots. And what little turkey skills we had, we made up for in just sheer enthusiasm for the hunt. 
Now, none of us killed a turkey that year, but I got hooked on the prospect of extending my hunting season through opportunities in other states. It was kind of like someone showed me a world I didn't even know existed, and half of the hang-up I had was right between my ears. Believing you'll never do something is a great way to ensure that you, in fact, will never do that thing. Now, we hunted Missouri a few more times, and eventually I killed a Jake down there. Then I had one of those magical trips where the stars aligned and I killed two longbeards with the longest, biggest spurs I've ever collected in a lifetime of turkey hunting. Both of those birds ended up wearing my tag in the same trip, and it was awesome. And that was all she wrote for me as far as traveling to hunt. After that, my buddies and I started to try and find every turkey hunting opportunity we could in nearby states. And then we started looking at pheasant hunting opportunities. We kind of looked at everything but big game because I still had the idea that traveling to hunt deer and other big game was just not going to happen. Fast forward to my college years at Winona State University where I met a fellow named Ben who was a traveling hunting fool. Now, pay attention to this. This is important. Ben wasn't rich. He was in college with me. He was just more motivated to go out hunt west, even though he did it mostly with a rifle. We became good friends, which we are to this day. And way back in 2003, he gave me some advice on putting together a rifle hunting trip for antelope in Wyoming and really taking that first step toward a big game hunt. Now, my dad and I took that trip together. And the 12-hour drive along I-90 overnight left us exhausted. And in awe of the landscape we found ourselves in when the sun rose behind us and lit the prairie. That feeling was only amplified when we first started seeing antelope from the road. It was life-changing. It made me realize that even if you're broke, which I absolutely was at that time of my life, there was hunting adventure out there waiting for me. I can't tell you how grateful I am for Ben's advice and encouragement then, and for just that trip in general, because it changed the arc of my personal and professional life And even today, I just feel insanely lucky for being shown that secret. Like I knew something that other people didn't, and it made me feel like there was more to life than I ever thought possible. But it's not all unicorn glitter farts and rainbows, my friends. Traveling for hunts can also really, really suck. I don't know how many flat tires I've changed in my life while on the road in the middle of nowhere, but it's a lot. I've broken down in quite a few random states, and that's not much fun. The weather that might keep you from hunting at home one evening, that's the weather that might absolutely ruin a camping trip. I've slept in tents while it rained for four, five, six days at a time, and I've lived out of tents while blizzards raged through. Now, that might sound badass, but it's not. It's stupid and it sucks, but it's part of the deal if you're going to travel to hunt. You won't get perfect weather, most likely. And if you do, you'll have more competition than you can handle. In that way, shitty weather can be your friend if you can stomach what it does to your daily life as a hunter and possibly as a camper if you choose that route. The food situation often sucks too, not to mention the sleep situation. And the hunting situation might be the suckiest suck of all sucks. This is the hardest part of the whole thing and something I want to make very very clear. Everywhere you look in outdoor media, there is a constant drumbeat of travel to hunt. Go buy that over-the-counter tag. 
Get out there and live your best hunting life, blah, blah, blah. Of course, what you don't hear from those people, and believe me, I'm including myself in this as well, is that it's their job. They're getting paid somehow, most likely indirectly, but from going on a bunch of hunts in a bunch of different states. Whether those checks come from YouTube viewable hours, podcast advertisers, hell, maybe a state game and fish agency that is paying influencers to come promote the hunting in their state, it's coming from somewhere. And if you think that isn't happening, do a little research, because it is. Now, if you hate that too many out-of-state hunters are coming to your favorite honey holes, there's a lot of factors. But influencers are one of them. Don't kid yourself for a second. And you might be thinking, well, screw those assholes. But also this asshole I'm listening to is kind of saying the same thing. And that is true, and I confess to that. But I want you to go hunt out of state. I want everyone to experience this thing, even if it's going to make the hunting harder for me and everyone else who is out there. This is because we're all on borrowed time, both from the perspective that you've only got so many heartbeats left in that chest of yours, and partially from the perspective that as a hunter, there are a lot of things conspiring against you if you're a non-resident which, as Randy Newberg likes to say, you definitely are in 49 states. I've said this dozens of times, so I'll keep it short and sweet. This isn't going to get any easier or cheaper to do. We keep making babies, and those babies grow up and need places to live. They need food to eat. They take up space. That causes the deer to live in smaller parcels of land and forces more of us onto the fewer available acres. It's a zero-sum game, most likely, although it might not end for several decades. And that's not important. Well, actually, that's super important. But in the interest of this podcast, I'm going to move on. What's important to you right now is that you acknowledge that if you don't get going on this traveling whitetail thing, it might never happen for you. So here's the thing. You've got to make a decision. If you think you can't afford it, maybe you're right. But what does that mean? Maybe you can't afford buying points in Iowa for three or four or five years, and then shelling out the same kind of money you'd pay for a non-resident elk tag, fair enough. But what about Wisconsin, where you can buy an already cheap non-resident tag for half price the first time you buy it? Or I'll put it in, in other words, in a different perspective. If I take my kids and my lovely bride to Olive Garden, I'll drop the same amount of coin as you would to hunt a deer for the first time in Wisconsin. That's pretty crazy. So what would you rather have? Unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks one night or a chance at a buck and probably a couple does while you're on a sweet hunting trip. Of course, you probably don't have to camp for four or five days just to go to a mediocre chain restaurant or drive 12 hours to get there. I realize the comparison is a little thin, but you get my point. If you make up your mind that any trip is too expensive or that all trips are too expensive, then you've already decided that you're not the traveling type. But before that, listen to your hearts, my friends. Is there something in you that is awful curious about taking an out-of-state trip to hunt whitetails? If so, take a long, hard look at some of the states that will sell you a tag. There are plenty of them out there, and every one of them has bucks that would make you happy. Pay attention to that, because I mean it. Every state out there has bucks that would make you happy especially if you show up for four or five, six days on your first out-of-state trip. I promise you, you can find bucks that you're going to be tickled pink about. But you want to be a little careful about focusing too heavily on that aspect 
because it will bite you right in your camel covered ass. A lot of us make the mistake of focusing on where we've heard big bucks are everywhere and they are dumber than your average squirrel in other states. That's not really true anywhere anymore. And it doesn't really matter. Iowa, in all of its whitetail awesomeness, won't make you a great hunter. Kansas either. Buffalo County, Wisconsin won't. Pike County, Illinois. What makes you a great hunter is the challenge and the willingness to keep learning. What's one of the best ways to do that? Ding, ding, ding. Go hunt somewhere new. Experience new terrain. Hunt deer that live in an environment that is vastly different from your home ground. If you live in the plains and have to drive three hours to see a tree, give the big woods of some northern state a shot. You live in the swamps of Louisiana and have to worry about alligators stealing your deer before you come to the end of your blood trail? I don't know. Head to the middle of the country in one of the flyover states and hunt around some ag and deciduous forests, a place where the local reptiles are small and relatively not very dangerous. Variety is the spice of life, and it makes deer hunting really special. It also, I'll reiterate, makes you a better hunter. If you don't believe me, consider this example. Take someone who has access to primo ground in southern Iowa, say 600 acres of well-managed dirt where the opportunity to kill a booner is a sure thing every year. In that scenario, you'll have someone who does exactly that and might kill bucks well north of that 170 mark on a consistent basis. But that's the only place they hunt. They grew up there. They devote their time there. And they fill the trophy room with those giant genetically gifted corn-fed bucks. On paper, that hunter looks like the real deal. And in a lot of ways, he absolutely is. But could he do it in Pennsylvania? How about Florida? Could he even do it on public land in Iowa? Maybe, or maybe not. Now take some of the most badass hunters you can think of who have proven that they can go to multiple states and kill good bucks. Sure, they might not be killing 180 inches very often, but they are killing way above average bucks in places that are orders of magnitude more difficult than a well-managed property in a great state. Difficult makes us good, and challenge motivates us to get better. While hunting a well-managed property can be a hell of a lot of fun, and I don't begrudge anyone for doing it, that's not the only way to find enjoyment in the whitetail woods. Simply seeing how deer operate in a new place, that can do it. Filling a tag on a small buck or a doe on public land, a place you've never set foot on before, that absolutely can do it too. Just spending a week in camp with a couple of hunting buddies strategizing over deer, obsessing over deer, that's a great way to have fun at this stuff and to get better. Plus, it'll force you out of your comfort zone. If you're used to sitting ladder stands that have been up in specific trees since Bill Clinton was in the Oval Office doing not safe for work things while he was at work, going mobile with a saddle while 10 hours from your home will do wonders for you. Broadening your horizons by doing new things is one way to keep your mental health moving in the right direction. While in the deer world, it'll make you a better, more fulfilled hunter. It'll change your perspective as a whitetail junkie in a good way and make you better and help you open up your aperture to what life has to offer deer wise. Why would you not want that? So here's my assignment to you, or as they say in the business these days, here's a little call to action. Ask yourself what your hunting goals are. What do you want out of the next decade or two? 
Is there any answer there that invokes a little over-the-road adventure? If so, start planning it now. After all, what else do you have to do right now? The shed season isn't really in full swing yet, but it's close. And this is not really a great time to start winter scouting for a lot of people. This is kind of the time of year that's whitetail purgatory. It doesn't have to be, though. You can still start researching hunting opportunities. And if you do, you'll have to start e-scouting or tapping into your network of distant relatives and friends of friends who might just own some deer ground in a state that might just sell you an over-the-counter tag. Now, I'm not saying you have to go hunt anywhere. But if you have any desire to, seriously start considering it now at the beginning of the year. Take some time. Map out a potential plan. Talk to a good buddy or two who might join you. But keep it small and simple. The bigger the production, the bigger the headaches and drama. You know, and of course, I'll, I'll get into that stuff later. But for now, just kick it around. Mull it over a little bit. Let it roll across your brain for a little while. Then ask yourself in a 70s punk band British accent sort of way, should I stay or should I go? If the answer is you're going, then we've got a lot to talk about, much of which I'll cover next week as I dive way deeper into the hunt planning process. That's it for this show, my whitetail-loving brothers and sisters. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you want more whitetail advice, head on over to TheMeatEater.com slash Wired see a bunch of our articles or check out our wired hunt youtube channel where we post weekly how-to videos on all kinds of whitetail related topics i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.